this morning we're going to be looking at what is essentially the building block of society. If humanity was, was a body, what we're talking about this morning is the individual cells of that, of that body, the, the parts that form the nucleus and the most vital living um, part of our society and of our communities, which is the family. So we'll be talking about sacred family this morning, that family is sacred, that family is God's idea. And uh, I wrote this down, I said, God is through and through a family man. God is through and through a family man. He believes in family. He's an author of family. He, uh, he is the one that instituted the family. It's his idea and his design, and it fulfills his purpose and it's for his glory. And so by saying that God is a family man, we're also saying that God is completely sold out on the value of his family, on the value of, of his children, of the value of his church as his body and as his children. And he is absolutely committed to fighting for that family. God is committed to fighting for your family and to his family, to the family. So we have, we have a, a sign up there that you might have seen as you came in this morning that says, this is home. This is home, why? Because we're family. You know that your home isn't just the place that you live. That might have a little bit to do with it, but you've probably moved home many times in your lifetime. You've moved to different houses and lived in different buildings, but, but um, the home is really the people. And it's the same here at church. This is home because we're a community of children that belong to our Father, God in heaven. And so we are all welcome in that family. And God is a family man. He is committed to fighting for his family. And we know that in, in human history, there was a moment where, uh, where, where Satan was cast out of heaven. And he was mad at God and he was angry with God and he wanted to get back at God. And, and, and what he could do is he couldn't go directly against God because God is all-powerful and, and the enemy never had any kind of power close to, no, nobody even comes close to the authority and the power, um, you know, the omnipotence of God. And so he could not go directly and rebel against God or, or, or work against God, but what he could do was go after God's most prized possession, the apple of God's eye, the object of his affection, and that was us. And so the enemy devised the plan, you know, uh, thousands of years ago to come against humanity, the crown of God's creation, His children, and to mislead them. He knew he could never hurt God, so instead he devised a plan to kidnap God's children, to take God's most prized possession. And he did it by convincing humanity that their father didn't have their best interests at heart that their father was holding out on them, was holding back from them, was, was only looking to punish them, was only looking to, to, to judge them or to criticize them or to break them down. And the enemy devised this plan to get people into a place of rebellion against God, turning their backs, walking away from their father, and in that, leading themselves into destruction and into captivity. But what the, what the devil didn't, didn't plan on uh, and didn't count on, was how hard God fights for the people He loves, and to what extent God was willing to go in order to bring His children back home safely. Now, that's one vital misjudgment that you can make, is when you uh, underestimate the lengths that we will go to fighting for the things and for the people that we love. And so the enemy made this mistake. He said, no, no, okay, that's fine. I'll go after them 
And, um, and when the enemy did that, he picked a fight with the wrong guy. He picked a fight with the wrong guy because God loves his family more than anything else and was literally willing to do anything, even giving up his own son in order to rescue us. When Jesus came to earth, it was essentially a rescue mission. It was essentially a rescue mission. In fact, the, the word, uh, the, the scripture says that, that God has ransomed us. He has bought us back with a price. It's this idea of we had been kidnapped and we were being held, and God was being held at ransom, and He bought us back by paying the price for our guilt, paying the price for our shame on the cross. And so, you know, miraculously, I managed to get a hold of an actual video clip that shows the moment when God phoned the devil and said to him, listen, I know that you have my children, and, and, and I'm warning you, if you let them go right now, we can leave this, but I'm warning you that if you don't, then there's going to be trouble. And uh, so, I mean, this is amazing, but I'm going to show it to you right now, just the actual moment. Let's just go ahead and watch this. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you are looking for a ransom, I can tell you I don't have money, but what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Okay, big mistake. That's the moment right there that the devil knew he messed up, all right? So, so okay, that wasn't the actual clip of God um, speaking to the devil. But if there was a phone call in there somewhere, I'm sure it would have been quite similar to that. And, the, and, and, and that's just the mission that God came on to rescue us, his family. God fights for his family. The point is, is that family is God's design. It's his heart. It's his plan. He longs to see healthy families, strong families, godly families that understand how a family is to operate and function and the blessing of family within a society and within a community. God wants us to, to uh, raise or create, first of all, a, a healthy environment, a safe environment, a God-honoring environment where He is present, where He is welcome. And within that context, to see healthy relationships develop, healthy uh, marriages and, and healthy godly children being raised. And God longs to, in the, the process of family, to create emotionally mature adults and, and, and parents and to give both children and parents a greater view and encounter of God. A greater view and encounter with God and a deeper dependence upon His grace. And so there are some elements of family that I want to talk about this morning, but ultimately I want to say that it is most definitely something worth fighting for. God fought for His family and He wants us to fight for ours. He wants us to fight for our families. He wants us to fight for the idea of family, for the design of family. 
Nehemiah 4 verse 14 echoes this sentiment where uh, Nehemiah speaks out to the people and he says, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Just remember that God is with you. When you are leading your family and it seems difficult and it seems impossible, and, and, and I think that probably you know, 80% of the tears that we cry in this life is because we're either worried about our family or we're praying for our family or, or we're facing difficulty within our family. But, but it says, remember that God, the Lord who is great and awesome, is with you and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. We've got to fight for our families. God calls us to fight for our families. And, uh, and I know that, that family doesn't always feel like a blessing. I feel like oftentimes family can feel um, like, like it's the opposite. You know, the Scriptures tell us, and we'll look at this later, that, that, that children are a, are a blessing. They're a, they're, a, they're a gift from the Lord. And sometimes we feel like we long to exchange that gift. Okay, can I, can I trade this in for something else? You know, like a nice car or something, something different. You know, sometimes it doesn't always feel that great in, in the midst of, of family. And it can be challenging moving through life together sometimes. You know, you don't get to pick your family. Your family is your family, and, and, and personalities are what they are, and, and we kind of have to learn to get along. We have differing perspectives and personalities growing up in the same home together, and, and sometimes families fight with each other rather than for each other. And I know that this isn't God's heart. I know that it's not His design. It's just another spin-off of our difficulty and our uh, imperfection as people, that we often are the ones that are difficult and, and, and still need to grow. Um, and, you're, and, and I'm also under no kind of illusion this morning that all of our family setups and situations and examples have been perfect either or close to it. I know that for many of you, family might have been a really broken place. For many of you, you might not even have, have spoken to your family in many years or, or, or you feel that they've abandoned you or, or you've been rejected or you've been cast out and that might be, that might be the setup right now. Uh, but what I want you to know is, is that that's not God's heart for family. That's a result of brokenness. Family is meant to be a blessing to us. It's meant to be something that we enjoy. And, um, and I know that the enemy is still on the warpath, especially when it comes to family, especially when it comes to your family. He, he wants to destroy in our society today. There's so much rhetoric around this at the moment because the enemy is doing everything he can to destroy the very concept and sanctity of family. The very idea of the traditional family is under complete threat um, in our society and in our world today. And those that want to redefine what the family looks like. And all this is is merely an attempt from the enemy to remove people from the safety and the security that a family provides. The safety and security that a good home provides. The health that it creates within our society. I don't know if, if you've ever... Um, had somebody break into your house and steal your stuff. Um, living in Joburg, you know, it's something that happens to too many of us. Um, and I remember the first time um, somebody broke into my house. Um, I'd only uh, been living in my own house um, for about two years, and uh, it was on the 27th of December. I remember that because I had all these cool Christmas gifts that I now no longer have. And, um, and I brought them home, and I remember it was a, it was a Friday morning, and, and uh, I had that morning off because I was running a youth service in the evening, and I went out with my cousin. We played uh, a, a round of golf in the morning. We came back, 
we were kind of standing in, in the garage just chatting and talking about golf clubs and all the rest. And uh, at one point, I wanted to go into the house, and I came around, and uh, the gate, somebody had taken a crowbar and broken the gate open, and my gate was kind of broken, and the door was standing open, and, um, and I went inside just to see that, like, so much of my stuff, jewelry and TVs and any kind of equipment, um, cameras, everything had been taken, um, and I think we actually accidentally uh, interrupted them. It's just, thank God, we were so intent on talking about golf clubs. If anybody said golf never saved your life, actually, it did. Um, because we were talking about golf, and in the meantime, actually, we think we interrupted them because they had put all my speakers um, kind of in the corner to carry them out, and, and we obviously interrupted them. Uh, but what they did when they fled is, obviously, we were standing at the front at the garage at the front door, and so whoever it was left, but they left by taking my back, key, my back door keys, closing the door, locking it, and then leaving with my keys. So I changed all the locks, obviously, immediately, but my thought in my mind, uh, kind of as a, young, as a young man, kind of in my own house, and, you know, you, you've, you don't have your parents there to protect you if anything goes wrong. It's just like, it's all you. And, um, and, and they had my keys, and I'm like, oh, are they planning on coming back? Did they take my keys to come back? And I'll, I'll never forget the feeling of, of invasion, the feeling of my privacy and my home and this space having been broken down, and somehow somebody had gotten access to what is a private world, a private area of safety. And that is often the trauma that people experience when somebody comes into their home, is that it's almost like there is something sacred about the space in which your family grows up. It's a space that you have to be invited into if you're going to be in that home. It's not a space that you can force yourself into. It's, it's punishable by law to force yourself into a place that somebody else lives. There's a sanctity that exists there, and... Um, and, and, and you feel so violated when people come into that private space and take what belongs to you. Think about the fact that the family, if it's a place of safety and security, is the first place that a child experiences love. The first place that we as children feel safe. The first place that we learn um, to be dependent and, and, and the most important area and, and, and environment in which a child will ever ex see and experience love and sacrificial love as, as we as parents are able to model that, where we learn our values and our strengths and our weaknesses and where we're taught right from wrong and, and the skills necessary for life. And most importantly, it is the space where we are first discipled. If we have parents that serve the Lord and parents that serve Jesus, it is our very first platform of discipleship where we're taught about Jesus and His goodness and introduced to a relationship with God. It is a sacred space. And when people invade that space, we can feel the effect of it. Now, what the enemy wants to do is break down the gates of the family. The enemy is walking around with a backdoor key trying to get into the family so that he can sow discord and break down unity and, and, and get people away from this place where they are being raised to honor God. And if he can do that, if he can affect a child in that season and, and affect families in that season, he can ultimately corrupt generation after generation, the knock-on effect. It's so strategic. It's so strategic. If you've ever seen... Um, these war movies, and you know, especially the, the old war movies from World War I or World War II, where they, you know, they had like the little bunkers where they could dive into the hole, but there's always like a machine gun turret in like a concrete bunker. And the goal is always to get a grenade inside there, because that's a place of safety. And if you can blow it up from the inside, 
then you will win that, that territory. And that's what the enemy wants to do. We are protected by family. God set up family as a safe space. And if he can just get a grenade to, to implode on the inside or explode on the inside, then he's able to, to take the battle. And that's what he intends to do. The enemy wants to destroy lives, and it's hard to destroy a life that is protected by faith and love, the faith and love of a godly family. But by destroying the family, the enemy hopes to gain access to the individual because now the individual's out on his own without that security. And if he can then break down the individual, he'll ultimately in turn break down communities and cities and nations. Nations are just made up of individual people. And, go, and the enemy wants to attack those individual people, but if they're protected by a family, it's hard to do. So what does he do? Break down the family. Tell people that the concept of family is outdated. The traditional family idea must be, must be changed. And so there is a very real fight for your family. There is a very real fight for your relationships. And we need to learn how to fight for our family. So I'm going to give you um, a few ways this morning that you can fight for your family. A few things that you can, you can ask God to help you with, that you can pray for grace to um, become better at, um, and that you can involve God with on your journey as you fight for your own family. And uh, I'm going to give you about five points here, but the first one is you can fight for your family, number one, by fighting for your marriage. By fighting for your marriage. The core of the family is made up by that initial relationship between the husband and the wife. They are the leaders of the family. As God asks the husband to hear from him, to be the prophet and the priest in the home, to, to disciple his family and set a course for his family spiritually, and, and too many men in this world uh, neglect that responsibility. It's also why we have struggles in our, in our society, because children just haven't been discipled. They haven't been, been led. They haven't been pastored by their, by their parents. And the mother stands in that role as well, providing nurture and care and, and leadership in that family. And, and so you have the parents forming the leadership and the children, if there are children born of that family, the children are a part of that unit, but it starts with the core relationship of the husband and the wife. Tim Keller speaks about this when he talks about marriage and he, he defines marriage as this. He says, a lifelong monogamous relationship between man and a woman, according to the Bible, God devised marriage to reflect the saving love for us in Christ, to refine our character, to create stable human community for the birth and nurture of children, and to accomplish all this by bringing the complementary sexes into an enduring whole life union, which is a really long description, actually, of what marriage is, um, but also beautifully summarizes um, you know, the picture of it, but I, I wanted to focus on this as it says it's about creating a stable human community for the nurture of children, an environment of safety and love and care within which godly children can be raised, children that know Jesus and that, and that walk with Him and that can honor Him through their lives as they grow up as adults. And the truth is, is that children draw their stability from their parents. Children draw their stability from If, if their parents are, are shaken or, or afraid or anxious, children will feel anxious without knowing why they feel anxious. They pick it up from their parents, and, and, and um, when their parents put time into their marriage, 
and into their love for each other and show commitment and grace and speak kindly to one another, children pick up on that and they go, there is stability here, and so I feel stable. I feel stable. If a family is, is, is wrought with, with overreactions and, and accusations and, and constant fighting and shouting and, and, and distrust or whatever, children recognize that there's instability and there's something that happens on the, uh, deep on the inside of them where they begin to feel shaken, where they begin to feel um, like, like, like they're unsafe. It's about safety. And children that grow up in a house that makes them feel unsafe end up feeling unsafe everywhere, in their relationships and uh, in, their, in their careers and in themselves. They feel insecure. Now, let me say this, that you might have grown up in a home like that and some of the most secure and stable adults I've ever met came from homes like that. You know why? Because Jesus is able to do miracles in people's lives. So I want to tell you this, this morning that if you've had a difficult relationship or if your family hasn't been stellar or there have been issues in your family, which every single family has, just talk to a person long enough and you'll find that out. I don't want you to think that that's it, we're all doomed and we might as well give up now because the truth is this is why we need Jesus. And I've often said this, if we were perfect parents, our kids wouldn't need Jesus. So we're just making sure that they depend on Jesus and not us by being our imperfect selves. Um, but we want to strive for and ask God's help in creating stable families and stable homes. So children pick up on those things and they learn what emotionally healthy relationships look like. And then they are able to in turn emulate that um, in their own relationships. It makes them secure to face the challenges of life. So fight for your family by fighting for your marriage. Fight for your family by, by prioritizing your marriage and prioritizing your time with your spouse and showing affection to your spouse even though your kids say it's gross. Okay? At the very least, they'll understand that there is love that exists there. And we need to balance the commitments of parenting with the commitments of marriage. And I know that this happens to a lot of marriages is that when there isn't enough connection or friendship or time and effort that's gone into the marriage and it's kind of, you know, um, kind of still growing in that area, oftentimes children become something that is the watershed that actually breaks the marriage apart because instead of focusing on the relationship, um, the, the individual parents then focus on their children more than their spouse. And through that process, um, what often happens is, is that they actually use their children as buffers, use their children as something to hide behind. And your husband's trying to talk to you, and he's trying to say something, but you don't really want to listen because you're not committed to the emotional communication that needs to happen. And so you go, okay, okay I'll listen to you now, and then you just go off and, and help a child real quick. Now, if that, if that child's got like his head stuck in the oven or something, go ahead and save him. Um, don't be like, I'm okay, honey. It's only 180 degrees. I'll be back in a moment, you know. Um, Sure, look after your kids, make sure they stay alive, but don't use it as an excuse. Because at the end of the day, even though you might be looking after the, your children, if your marriage falls apart, that's going to hurt your children more than anything else. So fight for your family by fighting for your marriage. The second point is, um, if we're going to fight, we can fight for our families by understanding God's intention for family. By understanding the design, by understanding His intention and His heart for family. I've already said that it's to create a stable community and a space for individuals to belong and to be strengthened and to be protected. But God also works through the family. 
He has set up family with a vision and a mission, and he has a purpose for every family. He has a plan and a testimony that he wants to live out through every family. And ultimately, what God's vision is, even within the family, is to draw people closer to him, is to draw the individual members of that family closer to him and to shape them into what he intends for them to be. A family, I had this picture, can be, can be very much like a potter's wheel, that the clay goes, the lump of clay goes onto that wheel and it starts to spin. And as it spins, it's being shaped. The family is literally like that platform that the clay sits on or the, the sculptor's table, the place and the space in, within which God begins to shape us, to shape our values and to shape uh, our vision in life. And you know that right now, whether you like it or not, we're all on that wheel and our children are on that wheel. At this very moment, we are busy shaping our families, shaping ourselves, and, and, and shaping our children, and, and, and we need God's involvement in that. Here's the truth, that the ultimate goal of raising children isn't to fulfill you. Do you know how many parents speak to their kids about their accomplishments rather than their values? We, well, why, why didn't you score more goals at, in the soccer game? Or, or why didn't you get a better mark in the test? Or why didn't you do better? And ultimately, it's because we want our children to make us proud. But you know, they don't exist to make you proud. They exist to bring glory to God. It's not about you. It's not an, a, an accessory to your life. It's actually God's children. When you bath your baby, you're bathing God's child. When you put your, your, your child to bed, you're putting God's child to bed. And we're simply stewards that are helping them be raised in a way that they can honor God through their life. And so we have an awesome responsibility when it comes to our children. It's not to make us feel good. It's a calling. It's a calling on your life. Our first calling that we will ever have is to our family, is to our marriages and our children. And if we live that out, and that's why, that's why the Scriptures say that if you, can't, if you can't look after your family, how are you going to look after the church? Because they're calling. It's the same platform. It's the same space. So God's ultimate goal for us raising children is to bring glory to Him. He is the one who instructed us to have children in Genesis 1 and then called for us to raise them to His glory, to disciple them and make them aware of the love and the goodness of God and to, and to make them aware of the gospel. If I, had just, if I have just one hope for my child, if I was allowed to have one hope for all of, all of my kids, it would be that they would grow up knowing, number one, that they are sinners that need Jesus, and number two, that Jesus has paid the price, the gospel, the good news. I just, if, if I can just do that, like I want my kids to you know, play on the PGA Tour and maybe the Springboks as well and you know, to, to accomplish many things in life, but more than anything, I just hope they know that Jesus loves them. That's the most important thing. It's so important to God. I know that some of you are thinking, I'm barely managing to keep my children alive. Uh, you know, <laughs> never mind raise godly, obedient children. And because uh, and, it sounds so simple when we said, let's just raise them to the glory of God. But, you know, that's hard to do when every morning you're shouting, where is your shoe? You know, like, it's like just so difficult to get a pair of shoes onto a toddler um, never mind, raise them with values and godly insight. And, and so I just want to tell you this morning, if you feel like you're alone and like if you knew what my kids were like, I can tell you that I can definitely relate to that feeling. But we must know that our children absorb more than what we realize. 
And you know what? It's not always about, how, about what we say, but about how we make them feel. That's what people remember, not always what you say. You might come to Anchor Church, you might remember one or two things that either myself or Liam Neeson said, but, but uh, you might remember a little bit of that, but, but what you will remember, what will, long, will, will stay with you long after you've left here, is how we made you feel. So people remember that, and we've got to remember that kids are actually absorbing. It looks like they're not listening, but they actually are. And here's the great thing about kids, is that they cannot be fooled. This is the genius of children. They are completely and blatantly honest. They have no other way to live. We become good at putting on a mask over time, but, but kids, they cannot be fooled that easily. They, and, they, and they don't really take seriously what you say until they see how you live. They believe in action. They, 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 they're watching your life more than that they, they're hearing your words. So you can say that you love their mom or dad as many times as you want, but they won't buy it until they see it, until they actually see you practice that. You can say that you love Jesus and you want to honor God. They're not going to buy into that until they see you loving Jesus and honoring God yourself. You can't create children that, or, you know, through that family raise men and women of prayer if you're not modeling that prayer to them. They just won't buy into it. I remember having a conversation with uh, a, a guy who worked at a, a record label, one of the biggest record labels in, in Africa, and um, I was working for a magazine, and I was getting stuff from him that we were reviewing in our magazine, and we had this conversation. A guy who wasn't a Christian at all, but his girlfriend had fallen pregnant, and now all of a sudden he wanted to talk to me about Christianity, because he, said, he actually said to me, I, th I think it is good for children to be raised in one of the three major religions, you know, um, and he's like, look, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to get into an Islam community at this point, and, you know, Judaism is an option, but there's a few things there that that requires, so Christianity seems like a good one, um, and, and I said, and, and I kind of went with it, I was like, you yeah, look, it's good, they'll learn, and they'll, they'll learn right from wrong, and there's some socialization that happens there, and, and whatever, but then I started to speak to him about what the heart of it really is, but the truth is, is that you can send your children to church all day long. If you're not living it, they won't live it. They won't buy into it. That's Separate, of course, from God reaching into a child's life apart from their parents and just, you know, but that's not the way that God, int He intended for us as godly parents to raise godly children, to make the gospel known to them. So you won't be able to fool your children. They learn from what is caught more than from what is taught. They'll catch your culture more than what they catch uh, your teachings. But the second part of God's intention for family is not only to raise children that know and honor God, but to shape and mature you as the parent, to help us as adults become spiritually and emotionally mature. And I actually think that that is why parenting is so hard. God intended for it to be a challenge and to be something difficult because in that process, we realize how much we need Jesus. I'm sure that parents here today will agree with me when I say I've never been so disappointed in myself and so aware of my flaws and my need for Jesus than since the moment I became a parent, right? Because the moment you have other people depending on you and putting a demand on your time all hours of the day and the night, you don't really know how flawed and imperfect you are. You don't really know what brokenness you have until you try and carry that kind of weight. And so... Um, I, I, for example, uh, one of my boys' teachers, 
um, sent me an email and has been chatting to me about his behavior and chatting to me about his, his classwork and everything. And um, he's a really bright boy, but he also loves chatting. And so his report card is like he distracts others while talking. Um, you know, and, and so he's probably going to become a preacher one day or something like that. Um, but but so she's talking, and, and I'm thinking, to, and, and then, and, but she's also um, she's, she's pregnant and she's going to have a baby soon. And so I chatted to her in the week and I said, now you're going to be one of us. Your emails are going to take on a completely different tone, I promise you. Because you're going to realize that you can send me a hundred different emails. This thing is hard. I'm doing my best. I can't wait. I'm going to send her an email next year. How's it going? But it's meant to be hard. It brings out the worst in us. I remember a time when I was late for a meeting and I was, I was rushing out of the house and I heard the kids scream in the backyard and the twins were very little. They were only about one and could walk around and, and Eli was about three at the time and, and um, they had been playing on the washing line but they'd broken it and so there was, you know, the nylon washing line and I don't know if you've ever tried to fix a washing line um, but it's probably one of the most difficult things. It's like on par with parenting because of the tension and then having to tie the little knot in the nylon and the whole thing. So I'm trying to do that, and in the midst of all of that, I'm trying to fix it, and the kids are running around me, and at one point, Jude gets the nylon wrapped around his head, and so I'm trying to do that, and, and it's just, it's madness, and um, the nanny's kind of standing there watching me, and, um, and she, she decides, I've had enough of this, and she walks away, and I reprimand her, and I'm like, hey, come back, I need help, like, don't walk away, and I, I unwrap Jude's head from the nylon, and I pick him up, and I kind of plonk him down in front of her, and I'm like, take this child. And I turn around, and Eli's standing me, three years old. He's shaking his head. He goes, well, that was horrible, you know? <laughs> totally being judged by my children. And that's just family. I've never grown more or been more willing to declare my dependence on, uh, upon Jesus as since I became a parent. And I believe that's part of God's process. That's part of how God causes us to grow. Gary Thomas says, says this in his book, Sacred Parenting. He says, the process of parenting is one of the most spiritually formative journeys a man and woman can undertake. The journey of caring for, raising, training, and loving children will mark us indelibly and powerfully. We cannot be the same people we once were. We will be changed. We will be changed, eternally altered. Spiritually speaking, we need to raise children every bit as much as they need us to raise them. It's part of the process. You see, you might have been just praying that they just grow up and, you know, that this difficult season will just end. You know that 18-month-old season when a child can't talk but has a strong will already and is mobile? And you're like, I just, can they just get to two so that we can communicate about this? Later on, you find out that doesn't work either, you know? Sometimes you'll wish a season away, but the truth is you need that season. You need that frustration. You need that difficult moment because you need to grow. You need to mature and become better so that you can be the person that God intends for you to be. So it is important that we understand God's intention for the family. The third one, modeling an authentic faith and life. You can fight for your family by modeling an authentic faith and life. And I've kind of touched on this already, but but, but nothing will keep you more honest um, than children. Children will keep you honest. Somebody once said they're the most holy of all teachers, the small children, because they take you at your word, and they hold you to your word. 
when we were leaving the campsite yesterday, we, we had our leaders retreat. Um, they, they absolutely love Willanungi, and they always want them to come over. Half the time, Willanungi are at my house at my children's behest. And, um, and so they said to Nungi, as we were leaving, we'd all had like a long weekend, and they said, Nungi, will you come over? Will you come to our house? And, and, and Nungi said, okay, I will. I promise I will. And they were like, pinky promise, Nungi, and she pinky promised all of them. And, um, and obviously, Willanungi went home, and they, they fell asleep, and, um, and, you know, I was busy and prepping for today and doing everything, and, and, um, and, and I, I left for a little while. I came back, and the first thing Jude said to me as I walked in, he says, Dad, phone Nungi. Tell her she broke a promise. <laughs> Leo at that time was asleep. He literally, we woke him up because we didn't want him to sleep for too long. He was asleep. We woke him up. He woke up like this and said, where's Nangi? Where's Nangi? First thing came out of his mouth. I WhatsApp Nangi. Ten minutes later, Will and Nangi arrive. <laughs> With sweets. So the thing is, is that your children will keep you honest. If your faith is inauthentic, your children will see it and you'll teach them indirectly, perhaps, to become skeptics. See, what we really uh, respond to is not just words or not just uh, instruction, but example. And too many parents live by the motto, kids should do what I say and not what I do. Can I just be honest this morning? If you don't want your kids to smoke, don't smoke. If you don't want your kids to swear, don't swear. Right? We hold them to a higher standard sometimes than we hold ourselves. And it's unfair. They are going to uh, do that. And, and, and if you struggle with something, then tell them, I struggle with the two, and we should both work on being better in this area. You can be honest with your kids because that's authentic. Authentic faith passes the torch of the gospel from one generation to the next. That's God's intention. Psalm 145 verse 5 says, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. God wants us to talk to our children about the goodness of God. And there have been moments where I've made mistakes or I've disappointed myself or I've lost my temper or I've shouted at my kids or I've, I've done something. And, and there have been moments where I've sat down with them. And I remember when Eli was very little, doing this for the first time, I sat down and I said, you know what, Daddy also needs Jesus. And I led him in praying for me. Because what I hope to show him is not that I'm a perfect person, but when I met my imperfections, I went to Jesus. Because I know that when he meets his own imperfections, and he will, that he could feel despondent and disappointed. But instead of that, he'll remember, when my dad met his own perfections, he ran to Jesus and not from Jesus. And my hope is, is that in his future, he will turn to Jesus and he will be able to um, respond in the same way by, by looking to God for grace. Children will look at how you seek God, at how you pray, at how you respond to crisis. And so here's what we want to give them, a picture of the gospel and not legalism. If you are just instructing your children with the commandments of the Bible, Instead of showing them the heart of God, you're actually creating sinners, stronger sinners. They already are sinners, but stronger sinners, rebels. The scripture says that the strength of sin is in the law. So if you exclusively preach the law at your children, you're teaching them to hate God. You're teaching them to rebel against God. You are creating 
fine premium sinners. We don't want to do that. We want, to, want them to understand the heart of God. One of the things that, that I say to my boys often is, do you know that daddy loves you even if you've done something naughty? And I teach my boys that Jesus loves us in spite of what we might do wrong. Because that means that when we do something wrong, we can go to Jesus. That's authentic faith that we can model. If you're fighting for your family, model authentic faith. And an authentic life is powerful. It can deal with disappointment and hurt and move on because the house of your family is not built on emotions, but built on values. So they can hold on to those values. I remember reading an article about how to keep your kids from being successful. If you want to do a great job at creating kids that will never be successful in this world, and one of them was eliminate all risk or hurt or consequence. Just eliminate, teach, teach them to, be, to play it safe all of the time and never face any kind of a consequence. That's one way to create underdeveloped adults and children. They need to dare. They need to risk. They need to dream. And they need to see that it's okay to fail. Disappointment can be a great teacher. Having your heart hurt by the reality of life can be so good for us in our maturing. I remember buying Eli on a Friday afternoon. He does golf, and if he does, um, you know, if he concentrates and he listens to his coach, then I say to him, okay, we can go and we can get you something from the tuck shop as we're on our way home. And he always loves to take this big kind of slush, slushy type of thing um, that's got way too much sugar. But, um, but, and he carries that, and then he normally has like a sweet and something else, and he's got like a tucked under his arms, and he's walking like that. And one day when we were walking like that, we got to near the school gate, um, it bumped out of his hand, and he dropped it on the floor, and it all spilt out on the bricks. And so obviously my first, my initial response as a parent is, don't worry, son, I'm straight back to the tuck shop to get you another one. But I, and, I, and sometimes I would do that, and that's okay. But in that moment, I felt that he needs to understand that sometimes that happens. I said to him, boy, this is sometimes what life is like. It's, it's a disappointment. I'm sorry, um, Dad's really sorry that your juice spilt out, but it's okay. You can get another one next week. And he just had to deal with that disappointment. Sometimes our kids need to know that there are um, consequences. They were playing cricket at the leaders' retreat, and Eli a-type personality, hates going out. So every time he goes out, there's an excuse, and there's often a struggle for the cricket bat, which kind of breaks down into an all-out brawl. And, um, and so every time he threw a tantrum or fought with his brother, I actually put him on the sideline. I said, okay, come, you're sitting next to me here now, and I put a timer on my watch. I'm like, five minutes, time out. You can sit here and watch the cricket, five minutes gone, then you can go back. They need to learn that there, there are consequences and that's part of modeling life to them. Authentic life involves disappointment. So it's important. I'm almost done this morning. The fourth way that you can fight for your family is by being intentional. I'm amazed at how intentional we are in so many areas of our lives when it comes to our studies and when it comes to our career, when it comes to you know, our financial planning, when it comes to everything else around our lives. But then when it comes to our family, we just kind of let it happen. Let's just you know, go into auto mode. But actually, if we're going to uh, fight for our families, we need to learn to be intentional. If you were going to build a house, if I told you, you know, here's all the resources that you need to go build a house, would you just pick a property and just grab some bricks and just start laying bricks on top of each other? Just like ad hoc, well, I'll put this brick here and I'll put that brick there and I'll just throw this brick over there. Maybe I'll build something with it later. 
No, you would first of all ask the question, what is the dream in my heart? What kind of house do I want to build? What do I see? What is the house that I see for my future? And then you would come up with a plan. You would go to an architect and you'd have him design what you have in your heart and you would actually have a plan according to which you could build. But so many of us, when it comes to our family, it's just throwing bricks at random places. If you're going to fight for your family, build one intentionally. Build it intentionally. The first question is, what is your vision for your family? Have you got one written down? If you're not married yet and you're hoping, can, can you start thinking and dreaming and writing about that? What do you intend your, your home to look like? What does it sound like? And I'm not just talking about the physical features. Sometimes the, the physical features are there because of what the vision is. But, but, but what, what does it sound like in, in, during the day? What is the atmosphere? What, what do people experience when they walk in? What is the vision and the mission of it? What are you accomplishing as a family? Write that down. What's the home that you seek? For your future. The next part that I always instruct people to do, and I do this with people when, they, when I do premarital counseling with them, I said, now that you have a vision for the home that you'd like to build, where are you going to find the bricks to build that house? And the answer is through values. If I have a vision, my vision will, I'll be able to break that vision down into values. So for example, if, if I want to have a home that's fun, but you never create space for fun, and everything's always serious, and you don't even own a board game, and you never make time to spend with your kids playing in the garden or, 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 or celebrating moments or, or you know, surprising them on their birthday or doing things that are fun, then you, even though it might be in your vision, it's not going to come to pass because you have no brick to lay for it. So what are your values? What are your values? Write them down. Honesty, joy, godliness, you know, um, honoring one another, uh, making much of moments, celebration, fun. It's, it's your family. You can decide. What do you want in your home? Write it down. Write down what are your values from that. And then out of that, how do you actually lay the bricks? So now you have the plan, you have the, 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 the blueprint, you have the bricks, you know what they are. How do you live it? How do you build the house? What's the cement? What, how do you lay the bricks? And it's through the word culture. You do it through culture. Your culture embodies the values that build the house. So you go, okay, so we want to honor God. Okay, well, how are you going to honor God? Because it's nice to put on a, a plaque on the wall or something, but how are you actually going to honor Him? How about having the family sit around the table in the morning and praying together? Or how about taking moments to disciple your kids, to take them through the scriptures, to, to, to lead your family through moments? That, that's one of the ways that you can create a space to build the culture. We build culture by creating space to embody that culture. We build culture by using words that build the culture. If you want a family that's encouraging, then how about you use your words to encourage you can't have an encouraging family without somebody saying something to somebody else about encouragement or about who they are. If you want a loving home, how about you show love, create the space, use the words, and we always say here at Anchor Church, what you celebrate, you repeat. Reinforce the culture again, constantly, day after day, week after week, month after month. That's how we build culture, and over time, your kids grow up in a home that looks like something that you dreamt about. 
a dream that God put in your heart through your family. And that's the process we followed here at Anchor Church. Sat down and said, well, what is the church? What do we want it to be? We want it to be authentic. We want it to be community-based. We want it to, to have biblical teaching and preaching. We want, okay, so if we want, for example, community, how are we going to have it? You know, that cafe outside exists, not because we just love coffee that much, although we do. We created it because we knew that if there wasn't something like that for people to go to, we haven't created the space for community. And so even though we've said that it's a value, we're not really embodying that value. So we go, okay, let's hang out. Let's do that. So we create space for what we value. And you can build a home by being intentional. Your vision, what's your vision? Out of that, what are your values? And, how, and what kind of culture do you want to build? And they always say culture four times more than vision. doesn't matter what your vision is. It's a pipe dream until you start putting it in place through your culture that you build in your home. And be intentional about that. The final one this morning, you can fight for your family by having fun. By having fun. There's a common denominator in all of the greatest families in this world, and that's that they know how to be playful. How much do we underestimate this? How much do we undervalue that? Even here at church, some people think that, you know, when I come to church, it's about being serious. But can you imagine coming home from school and your parents are just always serious? No one ever smiles. Nobody ever laughs. Nobody ever, you know, tells a joke. Nobody ever just, you know, has a little bit of fun or relaxes. Can you imagine if if you were a child coming home from school to a home that's just dreary and, and always serious, you wouldn't want to live there. It amazes me that people think that church should be like that. Why would you come here if, that's, if, if we're just all sour-faced? I think it was, I can't remember if it was Mother Teresa or um, somebody else who said that, from sour-faced saints, O Lord, save us all. Save us, Jesus, from Christians that are so sour. They can't crack a joke or, or spend some time having fun. Families that are great go on adventure and have fun together and know how to be playful and, 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 and know how to enjoy life. There are too many families in our society today that are too busy and too tired and too negative and too worn out and too serious. Play is connected to creativity. We need to have fun. Within that, we develop as we play and we build connections and trust. And for children, play is work. They, in their playing, they learn and they grow and they develop trust. Eli, it was just the long, the long holiday that happened now recently. And, um, and when Eli went back, and we, we took them to the Lion Park and to all kinds of outings and um, you know, did like amazing things with him. And his teacher asked him, asked each of the kids, like, what was your favorite part of the holiday? And in spite of all the effort that I made um, across the holiday, I asked him what his answer was when he was in the car on the way back home. And he said, he said, when my dad played frisbee with me in the garden. I was like, that was like three minutes. I was injured at the time. You throw the frisbee and if it's off target, you have to go and fetch it. You know, like, I can't move. But to him... Just three minutes of standing in the garden throwing a Frisbee was his favorite moment, the moment he remembers from the entire holiday. Not all the other expensive things we did or the places that we went to, it was that. And I think we underestimate that. We think that if I don't have an entire day to spend with my children, then it's not worth attempting anything. But they will remember the moment you sat with them and just played a board game or played some cards or threw the Frisbee or, or kicked the ball around. They'll remember that. 
So I want to encourage you, fight for your family by having fun. Take time to play games, to watch movies. When my twins were really little, it was hard for me to take them anywhere because they two, there's two of them, and it's hard to kind of take one and not the other. But at some point when they were a little bit older, uh, maybe around two years old or three years old, I can't remember exactly, I, I, said, I said, okay, I'll take them one by one. Um, each alternate Saturday, I'll take one of them out for something. I remember the first time I took Leo solo um, for breakfast. It was around Christmas time. I got up on a Saturday morning. I dressed him. It was very weird for the other kids that I'm now singling out Leo, and he's the only one that's going. But Leo's face, I'll never forget his excitement, uh, the, how excited he felt that I was taking him and him alone for a breakfast somewhere. And we just went, we ended up, nothing, I, I realized nothing was open at that time of the morning um, except Wimpy, and so we ended up at Wimpy. And, but as I was carrying him through the mall on the way to the Wimpy, every single person we passed, Leo turned to them and said, I'm having breakfast with my dad. I'm having breakfast with my dad. And people are like, that, that's nice, you know? Just random strangers. He wants everyone to know, I'm having breakfast with my dad. It meant the world to him. For me, it was an hour at Wimpy. But for him, it was a connection with my dad. That's why they said that the greatest gift that you can give your family is time. They say you spell love, T-I-M-E. That's how you, and, and that's why the greatest thing that they remember is not when you're off on some adventure necessarily, but your eyes, your face-to-face -face contact, your moment with your children means the most to them. And so take that time to spend with your kids, to throw the frisbee, to develop silly games because they'll remember it. Ecclesiastes 9.9 says, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. I just love how simple the Bible sometimes is. It says, hey, you should enjoy your life with your wife whom you love. And the, the next scripture, Psalm 127 verse 3, simply says, children are a gift from the Lord. And you know that God doesn't give us gifts to weigh us down. You know that He, gives, he doesn't give us gifts to, 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 to wreck our lives. It means that our families, our wives, our children, our spouses are meant to be enjoyed. There's meant to be fun in all of that. And that's so important. So you can fight for your family because there is a fight for your family. And you can fight for your family by fighting for your marriage, by understanding God's intention for your family, by modeling authentic faith and life, by being intentional, and by having fun. Those are just a few pointers. I could have given many more. We could have spoken. I could have given you a, a ton of extra examples about some of the things that my, my kids have said to me. And, and, um, and it's amazing, you know, living with these many holy teachers, um, you know, and, and, and the ones that keep you honest. But the truth is, is that God has a great plan for family. And I think it's something that we must recognize as sacred. I think it's something that we must hold in high esteem. I think it's something that we should fight for. I think it's something that we should work towards. It's something that we should put effort into and investment into and time into because it matters. It matters. Let's create the kind of homes where we can all, children and parents included, become more like Jesus and more like the people that God intends for us to be. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and pray together this morning.